What sort of impact can one person or two people have on an existing health crisis that's largely been ignored for years, and that crisis is happening in the United States to its citizens? Today, we'll get to the why behind what these two women are doing at Genuacy, and we're also going to get very real about the white savior complex, living in the community that you're doing the work in, and the future of this amazing company. You don't want to miss this one. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that eases you into uncomfortable conversations about race, racism, and how to be more anti-racist. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Allie Rose and Brittany, thank you so much for being our guests today on the podcast. We are super excited to talk to you and talk about Genesee. So can you please first introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your roles and background? Yeah, my name's Allie Rose. I'm the founder of Genesee Eyewear. I'm a Michigan native, so I grew up here in Michigan, lived and worked in New York for 10 years in the fashion industry and went to Parsons and very poetically ended up back in Michigan launching Genesee here in Flint, where we're making eyewear from recycled single-use plastic water bottles from the Flint water crisis and specifically employing and creating job opportunities for the structurally unemployable and returning citizens, so individuals who are coming out of incarceration. Yeah, and following that up, I'm Brittany. I have known Allie for just a little under two years now, which is wild. I as well grew up in Michigan um, and went to New York to spend some time after school trying to figure out what it was that came next. Also worked in fashion and worked in startup background in strategic marketing and partnerships. When I returned back to Michigan, I realized there was this part of me that truly wanted to still be a part of the East Coast system of uh, starting something new or being a part of something new and having the opportunity to change the way people view and interact with consumer goods. And when I found out what Allie was doing, I was like, hi, <laughs> can we hang out? Can I be a part of it? And she graciously opened her arms and accepted me as part of it. So I've been able to help out with brand partnerships for the last year and a half, and it's been fantastic. And I think we're just on the cusp of doing some really, really cool stuff, but it's been a really fun journey. I mean, that's just so cool because it is so, fills the necessity of eyewear. It hits so many different parts of social justice work from like the environment to returning citizens. I mean, like there's just so much and I love it. I can't wait to learn more. What is the story behind the name of your brand? So Genesee is the county that Flint, Michigan is in. It's spelled differently. It's spelled G-E-N-E-S-E-E. And... Gen UC, we spell it with a U in the middle. It's obviously a nod to the origin story of where the brand came from, but also our motto has been be the change you want to see or be the generation you want to see. And I just love that (laughs) reminder in the name constantly when people are saying it, that's kind of the core value of what we're doing, that it's more than just an eyewear brand or a consumer product, but it's a movement to really step out and be a generation we want to see and create a brand that shares those collective values. That's awesome. And, you know, I think one of the things, so I read your entire website and was like, and the stories on the website, and, you know, I think it details in an amazing way what your why was behind creating Genesee. And so I'd love for you to tell our listeners that same story and sort of your journey to, you know, back to Michigan and, you know, that whole path, because I think it's each story is so unique and yours in particular. So when we, so for starters, I, like I said, I'm from Michigan originally, lived and worked in New York. I went to Parsons and was working in the fashion industry in more of like a mass market space. Before starting Genesee, I was at a brand called Joe Fresh, and then I was at Lane Bryant. And working in those companies and at that scale, my eyes were really open to how absolutely unsustainable the fashion industry is, both from an environmental, social, and even a business model, just that we're knowingly overproducing thousands and thousands of units of inventory every year that's just ending up in landfill. And it didn't make sense to me. It didn't align with my values at all. And I hated every day feeling like I was going to work making more shit that people didn't really need in the world. 
And I did what every young millennial woman does. I took, you know, a short sabbatical. I went to India, did the whole eat, love, pray thing, volunteered with an NGO in Hyderabad that retrains women with sewing skills who are in domestically abusive relationships. So they have a form of financial independence. And that was a kind of a big light bulb moment for me, realizing that's the kind of work that I wanted to be doing within fashion, um, using fashion for good, empowering women through skills training and financial independence. So I flew back from India to Michigan on Christmas day of 2015. And that entire 16 hour plane ride, I was plotting in my head how I was gonna sell everything I owned in New York, leave my corporate job, tell my mom I'm moving to India. But I landed in Michigan and found out about the Flint water crisis and I was going to be here for two weeks during holiday. I don't know how to just sit around. I had just come off this really empowering trip in India where I was doing really meaningful work. So kind of just naturally I started volunteering with the Red Cross here in Flint delivering water door to door and I was shocked at how impacted I was by seeing the contrast of being in India and being in like the slums of India and then being in Flint and being in Michigan and seeing the water crisis, the man-made water crisis that was happening, and then this man-made environmental crisis because we're shipping all this plastic in out of like sheer need was just really impactful for me. And I kind of live by the thought that once your eyes are open to something in the world, like you're personally like held accountable to do something about it. And I felt really called to Flint on like a very deep, like spiritual level. I knew I didn't need to move to the other side of the world to make impact in my own backyard that, you know, I might be able to use my skills and my background in fashion and design to do something positive in the community in Flint. I didn't have the balls to like make the leap right away. So I went back to my corporate job in New York, but I couldn't stop thinking about Flint like every day. And I just knew I was supposed to do something. So I started commuting a bit back and forth from New York and Michigan about every other month and just naturally building community here with other brands and startups and community groups and volunteer organizations. And the community is really rooted around like church as well here. So just building relationships with a lot of the community groups at churches and just asking the real simple question of like, what does Flint actually need? Flint is a predominantly black community. And I'm very hyper aware of, I don't want to be a white woman coming into a community and imposing my own thoughts and ideas of what the city needs. So it was more of, okay, what does the community need? How can I use my skill set and my connections to help empower that change and be a part of it? And every single person I spoke with said, what Flint needs is jobs. So I was like, okay, how seeing as a designer, seeing the stream of plastic, how do we use this to create a product of purpose and need that can be easily assembled with on the job skills training, create more jobs for more people, specifically returning citizens in the community, because there's very high percentages of reincarceration here in Flint. And it kind of just naturally snowballed from there. I applied for some accelerators in New York, wrote a business plan down on a post-it note. And that business plan was literally just like four main goals of impact. So reduce single-use plastic waste, create jobs that anyone can be trained to do, encourage a circular economy and give back to Flint. And we launched in April of 2018 through a crowdfunding campaign through Kickstarter, raised over 74,000 pre-selling one frame style in 30 days. I packed up my life in New York, moved to Flint, got the business up and operating, and have <laughs> the trains been rolling ever since. I have met amazing team members like Brittany along the way who have been so instrumental in helping like take this to the next level and moving this from, you know, a small business idea and project into truly a brand and a movement that we're at the cusp of really getting ready to scale. That's awesome. Like when you're thinking about fashion for me, who is, and me, Sasha always jokes, like I am not the fashion person in the podcast world, but how do you settle on eyewear? How do you go from like, to me, fashion is clothing. So how did that happen? I think fashion is anything that you wear and we kind of set some product constraints around that category first and foremost. So the number one was it needed to be a product of purpose and need. 
It needed to be something that could be made from the recycled material. It needed to be a product that had a longer lifespan than something that was single use, but that also had a repeat purchase behavior where we could disrupt that system through a circular economy that's yet to be done in eyewear. We're really the first eyewear company that has designed our frame specifically for the circular economy. It needed to be something that could be easily assembled with on-the-job skills training. So it was, we kind of just laid that out for first and foremost in that, you know, as a designer, like narrows you in a bit. And I think sometimes having constraints, that's where like the innovation can really happen. And eyewear also poetically is something you wear on your face. It is like the most personal fashion accessory that you could possibly wear. It's a part of your identity. It's one of the first things someone sees about you. There's also that poetic narrative of like seeing like a new vision for the future you know, at first and foremost, I'm an artist. So always looking for the romance and the story and everything. So I were also kind of checked that bucket, but it really was like the perfect product for us to launch with. That's awesome. And then just for those who don't know, can you explain what the circular economy is or what was the phrase you just used? I've already blanked out. Yep. The circular economy, currently we live in a linear economy of buy-use landfill. We're extracting resources, they're used by a consumer, and then they end up in landfill somewhere. So it's resources, waste. In the circular economy, we're designing with the end in mind, and we're designing um, the product from the start from materials that can be more readily upcycled, where we're conserving resource both material-wise as well as energy-wise. So what that looks like in a really practical sense for the consumer is when you're done using your Genesee glasses, we can purchase them back for a credit towards your next purchase and we can upcycle those materials back into our supply chain so nothing is wasted. And that's our way of partnering with a customer to really take responsibility for our product in the ecosystem. I love that because I was reading about the buyback program and I'm like, this is amazing because I have, you know, I've heard of versions where, you know, people try and and recycle the older product, but to hear very concretely, like how this was working and the benefits that were going back into the community, I thought it was just really innovative and great. And so Brittany, I have a question for you because you mentioned that you guys have known each other maybe two years or so now. And so it sounds like, you know, from the start of Genesee and your involvement and you're meeting Allie Rose to now, there's been a lot of growth and a lot of change. And so I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, A, what first, I know you mentioned you found out about what was happening and you needed, you were like, I need to know Allie Rose and I need to know what's going on and be a part of it. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your why there and then sort of how Genesee from that point um, and your first involvement has has grown. Yeah, well, similar to Allie, with an experience or a background in fashion in New York, I was hyper aware of the way fashion has been perceived from people who are outside of the industry. It's very superficial. People see those who participate in it as very vapid or vain. And when I left New York, I knew that there was definitely an interest there that was still attractive to me, wanting to be a part of an industry that I think allows so many people to develop their own personality and celebrate characteristics about themselves that otherwise they might not find an outlet for which is what style and fashion does for you. So when I returned to Michigan, like truthfully, I was like, oh, there's no way that's possible. Like that's not here. You go to New York or you go abroad. I mean, yeah, you can go to LA, um, you can go to Chicago for a little bit, but I couldn't see anybody doing anything relevant to this idea that I had in my head here in Michigan. And when I found out about Genesee first, I was like, huh, there's no way they're here in Michigan. Maybe there's some type of partnership with Flint, but headquarters has to be somewhere in a major hub. And I sent Allie an email and I was like, hi, don't know what you're doing. Don't know who's helping you, but I'd love to get involved. So I remember I called her from the parking lot when I was at lunch one day and I was like, so these are all the things that I'm good at and that I can do. I'd love to be a part of it. And at that point, she was very early in on this incredible trajectory that she has been on for so long. And she was incredibly gracious in allowing me to participate. Early on, it was me trying to find ways to amplify initiatives that she had already started, one of which was by partnering with other leaders in the space to bring awareness to um, fashion as a sustainable source for getting people into this lifestyle that was going to be more productive for 
future generations. And then from there, I realized this is a good fit. Like, let's continue to figure out what we can do together. And she's been so encouraging and just allowing me to be a part of the story that's so personal to her by having this connection to this area, because I grew up in a different side of Michigan. And whereas I really resonated with this understanding that there are pockets of the country where predominantly Black neighborhoods are so undervaluated and so undersupportive. It's wonderful to see people who have power, they have privilege, and they have control over what they're able to do in other communities. It was really attractive for me to see that someone took that mission and that, that ability so personally and wanted to give back to people knowing that as a white woman with power and privilege, there could be so much that backfires in her face. And she's been really incredible at continuing to be aware in that. So my goal was to say, hi, let me support you. Let me be the background that helps pull together some of these opportunities. And it's been really fun to figure out what comes next. What can we do to continue to manifest this incredible um, story of turning something that people see as nothing into something that's so important? I mean, Ali said it herself. Eyewear is something where it's more than just what you wear. It's something that's helping you do things. It's helping you live. It's helping you progress in the world. It's actually helping you change the way you see things. And being able to know that we're doing something that's so fundamentally important, whereas there are other people who are in the apparel space and they're making other products, but at the end of the day, they're not necessary. And it's nice to know that what we're doing truly does have need and it has value that goes beyond one-time wear um, or one-time use. So it's been uh, a really, really exciting journey. This is a little off script, but I wanted to ask, because you've both brought this up. Ali, I appreciated when you said how consciously you were aware that you are a white woman and you didn't want to impose this view. And Brittany, you're a black woman. Like, how has that, if at all, played into your partnership? Do you want to lead on this, Brittany? (laughs) So it's funny. um, Ali and I, I feel like regularly we do have this conversation organically. I mean, there are times in the last few weeks and the last few months where we'll be speaking just as friends saying, God, the world is shit right now. Excuse me, I don't know if we can swear, but we'll be like, the world sucks. You know, this is what I'm noticing. And I'm in an interracial relationship, so my family is multicultural. Ali has multicultural family as well. And we'll just kind of talk about what's happening in our lives. From a business perspective, though, it's so prevalent in our daily conversations, but what we're doing, the impact that we're having and the visibility that we're giving the brand as her face or my face or anyone else's face. You know, right now with everyone tuning into the lives of Black Americans, you see so many brands who are finding people of color and pushing them to the front of their Instagram feeds and their social videos. And for me personally, I cringe because I'm like, all you got to do is scroll up four rows. You're going to see that it's as white as a sheet of paper before that. And it's heartbreaking. Whereas Gen C has always been rooted in this multicultural aspect because that is the world of Flint. That's the world that we live in globally. But when it comes to Allie and I, it's just like, she'll say, God, I don't know if I'm doing something right. And I'm like, listen, the intention is there. And the actions that you put in that follow through that intention are so pure. Like, Allie won't say it. She's very hard on herself because she wants to do well. And she does everything with as much passion and with as much intention as any other person who I've met or seen doing things in the similar vein in the similar space. And it's fun for me to be able to see, well, shit, she as a white woman is thinking about certain things that I want to consider because I'm just thinking about, you know, how's the brand going to be positioned? What's the best opportunity where she's like, are we really representing the people of Flint in the proper way? Are we representing people in the industry the proper way by being inclusive and considering all these other elements? And like, I dig this, I dig this. So it's nice to have a mutual respect for something that for me is so personal. And for her, she also has a lot of uh, personal associations with this multicultural lifestyle because of her family members that she's close with as well. I grew up, I went to public school in a pretty like homogenous community until my junior year and functioned from this headspace of my family's always been very diverse and I've grew up exposed to a lot of different culture. My family's been very involved in like downtown Detroit my entire life, very diverse like friend groups. But I grew up in a very homogenous community 
and functioned from the headspace of, you know, like racism, like doesn't exist anymore. And my junior year of high school, I started going to a private school called the Roper School. It's actually what our frame is named after, Roper. The school was founded by two Jewish immigrants who fled Nazi Germany and really focused around values of social justice and building a world that is inclusive, that amplifies the we and is not focused on the I. And the students there really challenged me. And it was a really small school. Like I graduated with like 30 kids. So it's a different level of like community. And I remember one morning I walked in to like my homeroom and one of my classmates, this guy, Tom Hickey, had a book on the table about systemic racism. And it just brought up this natural conversation. I was like, racism doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. And he like went in on me and challenged me so hard. And it really just opened my eyes in like such a different way. And I'm really grateful at that young age, my mindset really started to shift around, okay, like racism isn't just about how I grew up or how I was raised or if I have black friends or black family or not. There's actually larger systems and mentalities that we have been indoctrinated with just because of our history as a country, just because of how we've grown up and how we've lived. And I have always been really passionate about justice, just in general, in my day-to-day life interactions. But I think at that time, I really started looking at social justice as like a larger bigger picture of like what I wanted to do with my life and knowing I really wanted to make change and knowing that I did have privilege and how can I use that of like be to be of service in the world. And it had always been something in college that I continued to explore and continued to learn. My brother then when I was in college is in an interracial relationship, got married, they have two kids. And they had children probably like five years ago. And it was around the same time of what happened in Ferguson. And I remember when that happened, it hit differently for me because it was around the time that my nephew was born and he is a black boy. And I just could not imagine him functioning in a world that saw him as a threat because I know Max like he's this precious perfect little innocent human and I just could not imagine him having to live in a world where he was viewed as just because of the color of his skin and it made it really personal for me and that was you know around the same time that you know things with Genesee are developing I became hyper aware of the work that I was doing here in Flint around environmental racism, reading more about sacrifice zones and our history as a country, the fact that we're still basically living in segregated communities that were established during Jim Crow times. And we built industry specifically around these communities. We have historically just poisoned communities of color and and treated them as, as less than. And those borders, both physical or invisible still really exist. Also, those borders still exist in our minds as a country, and we're clearly seeing that now. And really wanting to, with our business and both myself as a person and the life that I really want to lead, how can I use my privilege to amplify Black voices? And I know that's being thrown around a lot right now, but I think like that's the whole point for me. And that's kind of like my deeper why is really just a deep yearning for justice. And I know the personal relationships that I have with my family, with my friends, with my teammates, and I just want a better world that we can all (laughs) live in. And I think one of the ways of doing that is through business, creating opportunities, creating job opportunities. I see and I know the personal stories of our employees who are returning citizens and that we work with in this community. And they've just not had a fair start in life just because of where they were born, just because of the color of their skin. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. And we can talk about it all day. We can protest, but I'm like, okay, what can we actively be doing to empower individuals and give them opportunities to empower themselves and achieve their goals 
we have employees right now who, you know, just got out of incarceration. And when I interview them, the first question I ask, like, what is, if there were no limits, like, what is your big dream? Like, what do you want to do with your life? And it's like, okay, how do we get you there? Yes, I would love for you to work for Genesee forever and be a part of our team and be a part of our family. But even if we're just a starting point for you, like one of our employees right now, he wants to get into photography. It's like, okay, cool. How can we like support you on that journey and just partner with people, just create new opportunities. And my relationship as, you know, both in business and as a friend with Brittany, I'm continually grateful for because we do have a friendship and I think Brittany does know me as like a human and and sees my heart is being able to have those tough, hard, transparent conversations without judgment and being able to have the vulnerability where it's like, okay, this is how I'm thinking about this. Am I thinking about this correctly? How should I be thinking about this? What is your, instead of projecting like my thoughts on it, like as a black woman, like how is what's going on in the world making you feel? How can I better support you? How can I be an ally instead of just always like projecting my own thoughts and opinions on it? And sometimes, yes, like I will get it wrong, but it's having those friendships and those people in your life that can call you out and not do the emotional labor for you, but be like, okay, this is the direction that you need to be challenging yourself in to think about this differently. This is what you can be doing better. And even like Brittany said, sometimes it's like, okay, you need to cut yourself some slack and not be so hard on yourself. So it's really, I think, important to just know who those people are and have those people where you can have those those tough, safe, transparent conversations with. You just are now like the case study in so much of what we talk about on the podcast. We talk about the importance of knowing your why, how it really helps when you have a personal connection to the importance of leaning into difficult conversations, reflecting and being intentional. And you've built a whole business and friendship and community around it. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And now I'm like, why would anyone buy glasses from anybody other than your brand? Because it makes so much sense. You know, knowing how intentional you are with your brand and the company and the work that you're doing, what's been the reaction to it within the community? And Do you make a point to lead with your story? Does that change people's perspective of what you're doing? So I think how we lead with it in our community and in Flint is different than, and I think remembering like we're a brand that's made in Flint to serve the community of Flint. We sell everywhere, but with the focus being on how does the community receive it at first, before we even launched, when we had our Kickstarter there were some individuals cause I was still living in New York when we had launched our Kickstarter. So I wasn't like living here, like in Flint at that time. Cause I wasn't, I guess, brave enough or bold enough to move my entire life around a business idea before there was even a little bit of like market validation. So when we, our Kickstarter was fully funded and there was, it was like the day after someone brought to my attention, some threads on Facebook that were not, very nice and definitely went through a lot of pushback and skepticism, which I think Flint has been historically taken advantage of. The people here have been lied to. They've been taken advantage of. I understood where it was coming from, but it was, I knew what my intentions were. Like I knew, but that didn't mean the community had to automatically receive me and be behind me and made me aware that, okay, maybe I didn't do enough work prior to building community here with like the right people and a reminder that was going to be a important part to keep at the core of our business as we did grow is making sure it was being community led and that the voices in the community were being amplified and heard and that we weren't just making decisions or imposing ideas on you know, both the community of Flint, but also our community as a team and who we were working with. So that was really hard. I felt like I went through a couple of days of like such intense anxiety of being like bullied online by adults that I remember it was like right after Kickstarter was fun. I was like, just give all the money back. Like, I can't do this. Like, this is too much. Like I wanted to give up at that point because it was just really tough emotionally, but I'm glad I 
didn't and I moved here, it was really important for me. Like I live in Flint. I live downtown. Everyone's like, well, why don't you, you know, most of my friends like are in Detroit. My family's down near Detroit, but I just couldn't wrap my head around like commuting to the city and, and saying like, I, we value all these things, but like, I'm not even willing to live here. Like it doesn't make any sense. So I think it is like, okay, I need to live here. I need to be a part of the community. I need to, and I'm so glad I did because there's things that I've understood about the challenges of living in Flint. We live in a food desert. There's just, there are huge disparities in access here. Even it's like our target is and our grocery stores, they're very different than the grocery stores in the targets that are town over in Fenton and Grand Blanc that are predominantly white communities. Like it's drastic to see it with your own two eyes. I'm glad that I live here and have experienced it. And I have not lived here during the height of the water crisis where, and my building like the water is supposedly safe, but I have experienced that anxiety around not being able to trust my water. There's still issues. If I shower too long, I get chemical burns sometimes. And what I've experienced, I know, is like a small portion of the fact that there are still families who do not have access to clean water. They repaired the pipes in like more of the downtown area where it's more gentrified. And the north end of Flint is still struggling with this. And that's where the poor black part of the community is. And hearing my employees talk about their kids are you know, experience lead poisoning and the struggles uh, that they're having in school. Like there's things that I've learned and been able to experience firsthand, which makes it more personal and gives you more passion for it. That if I wasn't actually living here, wouldn't be on my radar in the same way and wouldn't fuel my fire as much as it does because I'm experiencing it in the day to day and seeing the drastic disparities in this community versus the others around it. There's one other point I, I want to also be able to, I guess, elaborate on a bit. So you, Sarah, you asked, how do we lead with the story? Is it a priority of ours? And, you know, from my work and my outreach, what I've noticed is there are a lot of brands out there who want to leverage their platform to get people to understand who they are and then ultimately buy or convert in some way. And something that's really important to our mission is amplifying the voices of people who are doing good in their own communities and trying to find alignment with their whys are and get them to be celebrated within the Genesee community as well. And it's been really fun to really dive deep into that idea and realize that we've now fostered this community of entrepreneurs and creatives and artists who reach out to us all the time. They're like, Hi. Yeah. So these are really cool. I'm also doing some of these things on my own that are really similar to what your output is. Like I'd love for us to collaborate. And then that in turn gives us the opportunity to amplify the voices of people who are again, doing good in their communities in their own unique ways. But maybe the tie-in is that they celebrate sustainability or they practice sustainability and they're trying to educate the people in their community on it so that we can continue to push out the importance of not being in tune to you, your own lifestyle, but paying attention to how you impact the others around you and those you can't see but on a global perspective, you know? So it's been phenomenal for me to say like, huh, I noticed that there's this really cool new artist or a local artist or someone who's doing something of importance. And there is a unifying theme between who they are and what they're doing in Gen UC. It's been incredible to see how receptive they are not to the product, but to the story. And that's what the reaction always is. It's your story is so cool. You know, it's never, oh, your glasses are the cutest thing. Can I have a pair? It's we really appreciate what you're doing and appreciate the vulnerability and trying to do it. So we've received a lot of support, which I think is validating with the company being at such a young stage. But it's incredible to see how important community is and when you're able to find them how supportive that they can be in times like this where the world is really hard. Um, business is really hard, but you have people who are keeping you uplifted and, and that makes it all the more worthwhile. And Brittany, like, I think you've done such a good job leading us in like, we have no budget. <laughs> so a lot of the partnerships we've done, like everything is so organic and 
it's been really awesome to see. Like we are, and right now everyone's throwing around the word community, but it's been such a value of ours this entire time that, and because so much of the relationships we're building with our partners and our customers, it has been so organic and people, there's a lot of most, everything is inbound for us right now, which is kind of crazy. Some of the larger partnerships, we have people all the time asking us, how do you guys get this PR? How do you get this partnership? And a lot of it has been inbound because people are so attracted to the story. And Brittany, we've had a lot of the conversations around just with these, especially larger partnerships, being really transparent with them and making sure that they're not just trying to like leverage the story in a way that is exploitive. And sometimes that's, you know, harder conversations to bring up and feels a bit Mm -hmm. awkward. But I think you've done such a really beautiful job of articulating that and sharing creative solutions with the partners that we're working with. So that integrity for both the brand and the partner is like maintained and that we are protecting our community and we're doing right by the people that we're serving. I love that. I mean, I know that community seems to be the thread that is running through both of your responses and and thinking about this. And I know that community has been banded around a lot recently as, you know, a buzzword and, you know, everyone is focused on community, but you can tell the passion that you guys have for your community and how you are interacting with your community in a way that is very real. And I can see how also protecting your brand and your story and your mission is also a form of protecting your community so that all of the intention and all of the work that you both are doing is really going back to the community and into the community and helping the community because it's one that is often overlooked or, you know, and we think about our country and America and to hear stories of what is happening in Flint and how we can't even get clean water to all of our citizens is just one of those fundamental things that if we are believing in the tenets of what our country is, that is something that we should all just be completely outraged about. And it slides through the news cycle. So I love that you guys are continuing to keep a spotlight right there and focused on that. And you know, every time I hear you guys speak in this conversation, I'm like so excited about where you guys are gonna take this. So can you each talk a little bit about sort of the future of Genucy and how you see the company and the brand and everything that you're doing moving forward? You know, it's funny, we've been having a lot of conversations recently about what do we need to do all the things that we want to do in the way that we want to do them? You know, who are the people who we want to work with when it comes to building on our team? Who are the partners that we want to have? What are the types of services and offerings we want to give the customer? Because it would just be nice to be able to offer them more variety. And then more importantly, what can we do to the community that allows us to you know, dig our roots a little bit deeper and try to give back more and continue to foster a really organic relationship. One of the biggest, not issues, but one of the biggest things I've noticed as we've been on this journey is this idea of white savior complex. You know, Allie's got a really awesome resume. And when people see her and they talk to her, white media is really interested in celebrating her story because she's the perfect example of someone going to a community and doing good and check out what this white lady's doing for all these black people. And it's an actual issue. I mean, there are brands who find themselves in the same positions and they do things that can be wrong or right. But in our instance, it's all about what can we do to not show our faces because we truly aren't the representation of who and what Flint is. And we're very mindful of that. But what can we do to continue to celebrate those individuals? When it comes to the future, one of our efforts and focuses is continuing to bring in people from Flint or who have strong relations with Flint to build out team genuinely because that's really important. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, bringing in people who have the skills and abilities who might not be from Flint, but they can give something. They can be of service to the people there and their understanding of how their perception could be beneficial and then potentially detrimental to the community. So it's one of the big elements. One of the other things that we're focused on is 
trying to find more ways to get involved, whether it's continuing partnerships with local communities and organizations and trying to bring in more employees that can do things other than, let's say, manufacturing operations. But how can we get people involved in the creative? So local artists who are in Flint who want to be able to amplify their talents by partnering us to do good, whether it's creating packaging or creating other types of collateral material to be able to share and distribute. The other big one is partnering with local leaders to do good. I mean, we have a platform, granted, it's not the biggest in the world, but we're proud of it. We have a really dedicated um, audience. We've tried to celebrate female entrepreneurs in our area and leaders both in the um, social justice and social equity standpoint who are, are doing all of the big, strong, hard work and saying, hi, here's the issue. And we're saying, okay, cool. Let's direct all of our attention, all of our light and all of our energy to them and see if we can help them kind of spread the word and amplify their message. There are little things that we're focused on at the moment like that to um, try to be better for the community. And as for the brand, you know, we want to have success so that we can continue to reallocate that success to the people who need it. So that means building the team. That means putting out products that people want, that they need, that they're able to say, actually, this would be a really cool idea. And this is why it would be helpful for us to be able to have some more offering. There's a lot of things that we want to do. I'll put it that way. There's a lot of things that we want to do. We're really hoping that in the next few months, we're able to get a good understanding of what's truly possible based on the state of the world. You know, we can't push things when the world is hurting. So right now, the focus isn't just what can we do to make Genesee successful? It's what makes sense in the world and the climate that we're living in right now to be really mindful of how much COVID and what's happening to Black communities across America, how people are being affected. It doesn't make sense for us to say, I come by this cool product. It doesn't matter how intentional we are with our purpose and our mission. We want to make sure that we're in line with what we consider to be the moral good in the world in general. So I don't want to ramble. I'm going to stop talking. Allie. I I feel like you answered that question very completely. Yeah. I don't know what else to add to that. (laughs) I love that you brought up the white savior complex because we've had like offline conversations about that so much. It's interesting, like press and PR, there's such like a fixation around like founders. And I, it makes sense in, I think more of like the tech world sometimes and other industries. But I think for businesses that are trying to do good and make impact, it can be necessarily harmful, but just a distraction. And it's something that I've personally really struggled with on this journey is I'm a designer, like that's my background and I'm an introvert and I'm most comfortable working like behind the scenes. (laughs) Like even when I worked in fashion, like I was, you know, behind the scenes on set and that's where I'm comfortable. And I've had to have a lot of internal conversations with myself and definitely making sure that when we are communicating with press that we're communicating it with them. Like they always want to angle the story however they want and they will, but making sure we're reminding them what this mission is really about and finding, I think, creative ways to leverage those connections with press where even if, okay, the first story that they're writing about us, it's like this very typical, like doll founder focused story, but how do we then go back to them after we've built that relationship and like pitch them like the deep stuff and get them also hook them as an individual on what's happening in Flint because Flint is a microcosm for the majority of our country. I've been saying that the last couple of years and I think now more than ever, it's like we're seeing it on a national scale. Like the issues that have been happening here in Flint that we've been seeing for decades are now something that we see happening everywhere and in the news and in the media and we can't look away as a country and we have to actively be making choices in our personal lives and collectively as communities to make change and to demand change and to move the conversation forward because things have been, you know, it's like Flint, we haven't had clean water for since 2014 and even before that there's been issues with water in Flint and it's still not changed. 
it's not in the media. No one's talking about it. No one cares anymore. But as a brand, you know, sometimes people get distracted by the Flint story and are like, oh, like, are you just a Flint brand? And it's like, no, we're a global brand. We're a national brand. And what's happening in Flint is happening in communities all over the country. And for people to, I think, start seeing themselves more in our story is what's really interesting to me because it is making it more personal. And we've seen, it's been wild, we've seen growth during COVID. And I know a lot of other e-com brands have as well, just because there's been such more of a shift in the consumer to digital. But I think a part of it also has to do with the collective consciousness is the fact that our story is becoming more personal to them. They're seeing it locally in their own communities and they're connecting with it in an even deeper way than they were, you know, five, six months ago. And that's what's really exciting to me because it's like Brittany said, like it's not just is about a product, but it's not just about a product. And if as a brand, we can continue to move the conversation forward and be a part of larger change and be building a brand from the ground up that is like centered on values of social justice and environmental justice. I do think those are going to be the brands that last, that these will be the brands, both ours and others. I know that are a part of, I'd say like our ecosystem and our community that we've built, those will be the brands that are going to last because that's what we need. That's what customers are wanting. And it's right now, like it's like all the stars are kind of aligning for change to like happen. Yeah. One thing I'll say is, you know, we're all born with our own examples of adversity where we all live through our own experiences of adversity. And in the case of Flint, you know, what's happening is super, super obvious. It's prevalent and it's been spoken about. But if you don't live here or if you haven't been impacted with the inability to access clean water or fresh produce or access to opportunity, whether it's education or job, you don't truly get it. And our hope is that through the narratives that we're able to weave into the product, into social media captions, and in partnerships that we do with other people, people can understand or see themselves reflected in this grander story that's saying people need help in order to help you as someone who maybe might not need the help right now can support them buying a product that will give back to children so that they can have access to education or other elements of support, or just spread the word about a brand who is celebrating a local artist who would never otherwise have the opportunity to reach people and be able to provide for themselves and their family. Or even on other levels, women and men who are, let's say, providing free yoga classes (laughs) to their communities somewhere else randomly in the world. And we're celebrating them because we think that's a cool thing to make sure that people are promoting mental well-being and mental health. You know, there are so many things that we're trying to focus on in a small way that can seem, you know, left of center. But truly what we're trying to do is get people to resonate with the story that might not be theirs now, but could easily be theirs in the future. And the sooner that we're all able to look at life through that lens, the more compassionate we'll be able to be, the more intentional we can be with our actions, with our thoughts, with the ways that we communicate with people and celebrate our own communities. So you guys asked, what's the future of Genesee? I I would hope that it's doing that on a larger scale, just getting people to be mindful, getting people to be compassionate and getting people empowered by the idea um, and the reality that we all hold some type of power. It's just, what do you do with it? It's what's important. That felt like a mic drop moment. I love it. That was amazing. Make no, me the Obama of- meme. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that leads right into this question. You know, we got connected with you through Doe. Misasha has talked a lot about Doe in particular because we talk about voting with your wallet and, and exactly what you just said. Like, put your money where your mouth is. We can vote by, you know, making change in that way. What drew you to Doe? What do you like about it? I think for me, just the community aspect of it, of amplifying other female founders and having kind of one space to go to that I know like these brands have been vetted and I can feel confident that any purchase I'm making is making impact and supporting even, you know, an entrepreneur that is trying to do good. And it doesn't really matter what that scale is. I think right now it's like we're moving. There's this shift that's happening. And Brittany, I think from a marketing perspective, like you can speak more articulately about this, but we're moving from this like mass market to like niche markets. And 
also I think because of COVID and because we have been quarantined and we have been spending more time in our local communities, there's more awareness now than ever of supporting more local, shopping smaller and like getting back to, I mean, maybe how it should have always stayed, but supporting like our own local communities and our own local makers. And obviously because of technology and, you know, our access to e-commerce, uh, community looks different and we can support our local communities, but we can also be supporting other local communities as well that have more of that hyper focus and are more interested in running their business from a place of empathy as opposed to scaling for a profit alone. Yeah. I mean, there's something really awesome about being a part of community of women who are leading the change and saying shop small but shop and support women who have for so long been doing a lot of these things in the background but they haven't held the position of power that's allowed them to say it is women-owned even though it's women-ran and it's women-organized and it's produced by women or even the craziest part it's products for women but it's owned and operated by men so it's uh really, really nice to be recognized and being able to share space with other female founders and entrepreneurs who are are doing cool things in their own respective spaces and industries, sometimes competitors, which is awesome. You're doing good. You have a good why and your intention is there. Oh, we'll support you too. (laughs) Like it's that, what what do they call it? Collaboration over competition. I think that's like the cool new word that we're using, but it's true, you know, to do something together to foster community is the most important thing. If what you're doing is more important and not necessarily what, if how you're doing something is more important than what you're doing in the instance of making and selling products, if the intention behind it is something that truly is important to you and somebody's doing something similar, it's all about celebrating them because the more intention you can bring to the issue is way more valuable than, you know, revenue that you drive to you in your own pocket. But yeah, it's cool to know that, you know, Dose celebrates that. They are continuing to foster a community of women who feel that way. But yeah, I think we're really lucky to be a part of an organization of women who are happy to kind of stand up and make a lot of noise about causes, issues, and products that are important to them. I love it. And as Sarah said, you know, why would anyone else buy glasses anywhere else at this point? So for our listeners who hopefully all feel the same way, where can they find you on social media, online, all the places? Brittany, do you want to? Yeah. For sure, check us out on Instagram because that's where all of the one-on-one conversations are happening. It's JennyC underscore official and check us out at JennyC.com if you want to check out glasses, if you want to learn more about our brand story and see some of the really awesome products that we're trying to develop right now and see where they go in the future. Thank you so much. We will definitely be following and watching. Can't wait to see what's next. Thanks for having us. For having us. This is fun. (laughs) This is really fun. If you love what you're hearing, subscribe to the Dear White Women podcast so you don't miss any of our anti-racist, identity-affirming episodes released every Wednesday. Shows that seek to show that we as humans rise by lifting others. Support our Patreon, which allows us to keep making work that highlights different narratives that help us broaden our horizons, including a new monthly virtual community centered around book studies. Want to follow us on social media? We're at Instagram and Facebook at Dear White Women Podcast. And we're on Twitter at DWW Podcast. And of course, we'll be sending out vital info and opinions via email, which you can sign up for on our website, www.dearwhitewomen.com. Thanks for being part of the conversation. 